All right. Well, welcome everyone to our um, monthly racial roundtable conversation. So excited to um, be here with you all tonight. I missed you all last month. Um, I was out of town for the first time since possibly February. So that was pretty exciting. Um, but I'm glad to be back and be with you all. So thank you for joining us. Um, I'm going to turn things over to Ange, and she's going to share a few brief announcements with us. Well, good evening. Glad you could all join us. And the first announcement is that if you are outside of Renew and you would like to be included on the monthly emails about these race discussions that are hosted the third Wednesday of the month, please Put your email address in the chat. It can be private to one of the co-hosts and we'll be sure to add you to the list. Next month, we are not having the meeting in order to honor Advent and the holiday season. We're taking a break, but we'll be back in 2021, January 20th, the third Wednesday at 830. And we'll have more discussions, more leaders throughout that new year. And last but certainly certainly not least, I'm gonna share my screen here. Last month's speaker, Raleigh Booz, shared an event that is coming out. His church in Philadelphia is hosting on the 12th of December and it's called Turn Up to Bail Out. So we're partnering with their church and I'll put the email or the website address in the chat as well so you can find out more information about how to support that cause. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for all those who joined us tonight and thank you for those who wanted to be here but could not, Lord. I thank you for our speakers tonight, Lord. I thank you for their presence and their testimony, God. I pray that you would not only allow our ears to hear, but our hearts to open and receive, Lord, their story and their truth. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Denise. We're excited to welcome Sean and Krista Smith to our uh, November event. Uh, when we first started looking for participants to speak in the series, Tim Culp sent us a video of Sean speaking. And so we even uh, invited them to come talk with us. We're really grateful for this Zoom platform since this has uh, avoided some of the geographical issues we otherwise would have. Uh, they are international speakers and ministers. Um, and they talk about prophetic evangelism and the way God is bringing revival out of racial conflicts. Uh, Sean's father was killed by police when he was nine years old, and he provides godly advice on talking about race and justice in a way that is aligned with God's heart and stresses righteousness and unity. So that, uh, take it away. Awesome. Awesome. Is everybody hearing us? Yes. Okay. Hey, I'm Sean, and this is my wife, Krista. Hi. And we just want to say we're, we're honored and we're blessed to be with you guys we think this is awesome. It is. Even, yeah. even down to uh, having fundraisers to, you know, provide bail for people during the holidays. That's who does that? That's <laughs> that's kingdom, awesome. man. My heart is moved over that. 
Uh, to jump right in this, you know, I, I, I think we were just kind of talking a little bit or waiting for people to get on. And, and so I'll, I'll jump in first on this. And uh, you had mentioned a little bit, my, my story is I grew up uh, inner city, Oakland. I think Oakland, California, there's a toughness, probably like how Philadelphians feel about Philadelphia. They're tough. Uh, I was raised on the West side. Uh, my, my mom met my dad at a, at a nightclub and they, they were not married. My mom got pregnant. She sent for my grandmother. My grandmother raised me. Uh, my dad came in my life at five. Uh, he lived in another city, San Jose, California. I lived in Oakland, but very quickly we began a relationship. Uh, he was my hero. Uh, I'd see him maybe once a month, maybe twice a month. He would drive down uh, to my apartment. He'd pick me up, spend some time. Fast forward, I'm nine years of age. I'm at a schoolyard. I mean, I'm at school. And a teacher comes out and says, hey, you have to go see the principal. So I go and see the principal. And, and uh, I was I was energetic kid that could get in trouble. So I just assumed I was in trouble. But I had no idea the trouble that would be communicated to me. He says, hey, you have to go home. There's been an emergency. <clears throat> so I get back on the bus. I was bused across town. I get off the bus, walk down the street and go into our, our, our apartments. My grandmother had been drinking, I could smell the alcohol and she uh, was at that time alcoholic and she was gonna have to break the most difficult news that a grandmother would probably have to tell her grandbaby. And she said, I'm sorry to tell you, but last night your dad was murdered. And so uh, the story eventually trickled down. She just told me that, that, that my dad was murdered by policemen, that's all I got there. But you know, again, I'm nine years of age. There was an entire court case. Uh, it was proven in court that two officers uh, were uh, guilty of racially motivated. They, they, it wasn't uh, murder. It wasn't manslaughter. I don't, I don't know what it was, but the guy that killed my dad, uh, the police officer, he, he was fired. The other one who was accomplished, uh, he, he was demoted to a desk job. Well, originally these police officers, which I just want to say for the record, uh, I, I mean this when I say this, this is not just something to say because it would be the right thing to say. It, it's, it is the right thing, but it's my heart. I honor people in law enforcement. I have uh, relatives and great friends that are uh, police officers to deputies to sheriffs. And so this is, when I share about these officers, there's no way indicative of the men and women that are laying their lives down and protected. And I, I believe in honor. I think that's important. Uh, they initially said that my dad, these two police officers, is the reason why they shot him. They initially said my dad tried to get a tire iron and attack him, but they didn't really think it all the way through because the only fingerprints found on the tire iron belonged to the police officers. And it, it didn't it, it didn't even come out of my dad's car. It, it was connected to the car, the police officers. So two officers uh, fire up their cherry. My dad's driving down Stevens Creek Boulevard. He was a chemical engineer for IBM, a uh, law abiding citizen. Uh, and so he does what any law abiding citizen would do. He pulls over to the side. Uh, police officers demand that he gets out of a car. Uh, they immediately uh, charged him. One officer sprayed mace in his eyes and a coroner report said had my dad lived, he, he probably would have been blinded. Just the level of mace. Uh, uh, the story I'm telling you was admitted in court by people who are witnesses who were the same race as the officers. And I think that's important or else, you know, I'd be, I'd be sharing speculation. So this is what was admitted in court. They, they were overheard uh, using uh, that ex, uh, expletive for African-American, six-letter word begins with the N that should never be used by anyone, in my opinion, not even hip-hop artists, because of the baggage associated with that. 
the demand that he run, my dad ran into an open field. Mind you, his eyes are burning. Uh, as he runs an open field, they had a dog. They sipped the dog on him. The dog dropped him. And then they stood over my dad in execution style. They emptied rounds in my dad's back. He was dead on arrival at the hospital. So this is what was admitted in court. Now, back to my grandmother telling me, nine-year-old kid, uh, you know, the night she told me, man, I, 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 I was tore up. I, I, my mom said for three days, I, I didn't, I didn't eat. I didn't, I didn't talk. Uh, she kept me out of school. Uh, it, it was difficult. I was on a plane. I was in Oklahoma where my dad's from sitting in the front row. I'm looking at my dad and I'm thinking, my mom, who's biracial helped me to not aim my anger because you definitely have anger. I, again, I didn't know the Lord. My mom didn't know the Lord. My grandma at that time was backslidden and we would, we would all come to Christ later down the line. But my grandmother helped me that it wasn't a race of people that my anger should be aimed at. Uh, in fact, she, she kind of challenged me to deal with that somehow. Uh, we didn't have enough money for no psychological therapy, just for the record. Uh, so I, I think I developed uh, kind of resentment towards people in authority, particularly police officers at that time. And it was kind of reinforced inner city kid. Uh, I, I, I felt like I was profiled. I was pulled over. Uh, I was hanging on a corner. And I had friends of, of a lot of different races, but for whatever reasons, maybe it was the era, maybe it was the, the, the period of time, uh, maybe it was West Oakland inner city, and, and maybe there was just, that was just the way things were, but I, I was singled out, so it just was reinforced. So anyway, make a long story short, there was awards monies given uh, because of the unlawful depth of my dad uh, that can only be used for education. So I chose a, a school and majored in computer engineering, while I was at the school, the bottom fell out. My grandmother had given her life to the Lord, but she she died at this point. Uh, I'm 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 trying to deal with this orphan orphan deal. I had this orphan heart, and uh, Jesus shows up in my room, and and I, that that can blow some people away. But proof that He showed up is I'm doing what I'm doing right now, and I'm not a uh, computer engineer at Intel in Silicon Valley. And Jesus said, "I'll be a father to the fatherless." Huge. Second thing he dealt with is that I needed to forgive. And so here I am, a baby Christian. Uh, I'm, I'm probably 20, 21 years of age in college. Uh, and uh, I, again, no one's telling me to do this. Uh, I had read the gospels, but I don't think I locked in on the importance of forgiveness. But uh, at this point in time, uh, God deals, deal, dealt with me. When I say I read the New Testament, I didn't read all the way through at this point. I just heard different things. That, and so in that moment, I pictured two white police officers. I pictured their families. I imagine they had kids that were probably a good age at this point in time, because by the time I'm, you know, what, 2021, I'm 12 years removed from this incident. So I prayed. I said, God, I forgive them. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would save them. And to be honest, you know, people say, was that hard? And, and I, I insist on this. And I think this is an important key. It wasn't hard in this sense. I was encountering the agape love of God. And when you encounter the agape love of God, I feel like it's inconsistent, even hypocritical, even unnatural to withhold phileo love uh, from people around you. And I, I question believers. I know that comes across strong, but I really question believers that can only love people like themselves. I, I question this. I'm not questioning the salvation. I'm questioning, have you really encountered the agape love of God for yourself, because when you encounter God's love, it overflows in you and it, it's natural to love others. It's very unnatural. You have to really do something, I think, 
uh, in an opposite spirit to shut that down. And so I uh, got saved. I, I gave my life to Christ. I started witnessing to everything around me. Now, fast forward to modern times. I, I think it was, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the gentleman's name, uh, but uh, his, he was shot by policemen kind of walking towards his car. And his 13-year-old son was on a CNN and he just began to sob as, as they're talking about his Elton. dad. Elton, I think it was Elton. Elton Sterling. Elton Sterling. Thank you. Yeah, Elton yeah. Sterling. And when the kid wept, I'm a grown man. I'm a minister. I've shared. And man, I found myself just broken. I mean, I just began to share tears, mm-hmm. partly because I knew exactly where that kid is at. Mm-hmm. And so if you fast forward that again now, and you, you think of, uh, there's been many, many people, but I think in particularly Ahmaud Arbery, uh, very quickly followed by George Floyd, uh, you know, I mean, Breonna Taylor, and there's, there's a lot of incidences right now where I look at, and we, and we look at our, our nation, and I just say, it's going to take a united church to heal a divided nation. And, and here's where I feel like our challenge is. Number one, I feel like, and, and I said this, the end game can't be justice. And give me a moment to unpack that. When I say the end game cannot be justice, if you take 10 people and you ask them their definition of justice, you're going to get 10 different definitions. So if my end game is justice, justice to someone else may look like revenge. Justice to someone else may look like my brand of what I feel justice should be. But I think according to John 17, uh, the end game is unity. Now, justice may be a means to the end, unity, but we've got to say what makes for unity. And thus, I, I kind of have this, this phrase I felt like the Lord is, is highlighting, is that our challenge as a church, we must be peacemakers in polarizing times. So good. And Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be sons of God, which at the moment he said it, that would have been revolutionary to a Jewish person for someone to, for God to say, uh, Blessed are the peacemakers, for you'll be me. I mean, that, that, that wasn't being used, sons of God. And so I, I feel like there is, there is a, a, a key in Jesus's phraseology that we're most like Christ when we make for peace. Now, again, it's not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers uh, don't have real conversations. They wouldn't have this kind of setting and forum to address issues as you guys are doing on a monthly basis. They wouldn't have conversations they would sweep things under the rug. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, another national event uh, happens and everyone uh, just lets all the anger out. It's just proof that maybe things were swept under the carpet. But peacemakers do what make mm-hmm. for so peace. Good. And so I, I really have felt in the midst of this, being a peacemaker in polarizing time, I'll share this. And, and I'd love for my wife to, to, to talk. I, I felt like the Lord gave me uh, in the in the Bible, uh, and I feel like she's she's awesome, you guys. So she's awesome. I'm 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 voting for her for second ballot Faith Hall of Fame. Okay, they, they got Hebrews 11 closed, but in glory, <laughs> I want Abigail to get my vote. Second second ballot Hall of Fame. Abigail was married to Nabal. Nabal was very foolish. Why? Because Nabal had a lot of sheep, and his men were watching the sheep. Went out in the middle of a place in Carmel where it was really dangerous. David, at that time, a bit on exile because King Saul was demonized and attacking him. David and his men protected Nabal's sheep and his men because people wanted to take him out. And so kind of expecting what, what would be right. I helped you. Later down the line, you should help me. So sure enough, David and his men 
are going through Nabal's neck of the woods and they needed some water. They needed some, some food. I think he would just, you know, let us just let us have water. Let us get some figs, some fruits, whatever. And Nabal says, no, who are you? Which everyone knew about David because he had killed Goliath at this point. So that was a total diss, as the kids would say, disrespect. And so David gathers his men and they're going to go kill Nabal. This is going to be protests on a whole nother level. Like this is going to be Antifa and BLM uh, in terms of the unsanctified aspects of the violent protests uh, that some people uh, that have been involved with. It was going to be on that level. And then Abigail heard that this was going to happen. So she grabs some dates and some figs. She runs to David and she says, David, don't do this. Don't you know you're destined for the throne? You got destiny on you. My husband, he's a fool, which that's what his name meant. And she says, you're going to look back on regret. And David cited this. And, and I need you guys to really hear this, family. This is important. David said, praise God that you came. Because if it wasn't for you, there would have been bloodshed. So he, she's saying it, it, it would have been civil war in the streets. In that case, Middle Eastern, you know, fields. But I now see that God has saved me through you. And so Abigail went between, David at that time was hot-headed righteous, right? He was a hot-headed righteous God. Nabal was a foolish, entitled person because he's like, I got this money, I got this stuff. Who is David? Forget you. So she ran interference, but she brought figs and dates to David. And I think as a church, we have to bring something between warring fractions and what's going on mm, in our nation. That's so good. And she was a peacemaker in polarizing times and, and I believe altered David's destiny. And I feel like we got, we got to look at this thing like there's a destiny on this nation. Uh, there's a destiny on people groups. And, and I feel like what we do and how we connect. And at this point in time, in particular, we have to model there's something better. We cannot leave it to the world yeah. to try to uh, invent a unity that won't work when we have the answer all along. And it's, it's the love of Christ is equal level playing field of the cross. It's having conversations. It's inviting people that look different than you in your house. And it's not just meeting on Sunday morning. Uh, it's, it's meeting on a Wednesday night, you know, like this, it's, it's listening, it's having these kind of conversations because we really can make a difference. And, and, and in fact, we're called to do so. And, and so I've talked for a while, so I want to, I I want to turn it. it over to my wife. It's so good. That was so good. I love that. You know, Renewed Church, such an honor to be with you. I'm Krista. And I just want to come alongside what Sean shared and give a little bit of my background and then kind of just merge with what he shared. And then we'll kind of continue the conversation. You know, I was born and raised in Southern Oregon, and I didn't have any African-Americans in our community. It was a totally white community. And... I, and even in my high school, there was not an African-American in my high school, if you can believe it. Then I go to college, Seattle Pacific University in Seattle, Washington. There was a very small number of African-Americans and a very small number of diversity. I think, you know, the small diversity that I had in my hometown, um, I happened to be really good friends with them in the Hispanic community. Um, in the Asian community, but there was African-American community. And for that matter, the diversity was really absent in my, you know, growing up years. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves that we are all products of what we were born into and what we were raised in good and bad. Right. 
but you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I think uh, that is a classic statement and it's a bit of a cliche, but for me, it was very accurate. I did not know my ignorance and I did not know my lack of understanding. And there's just an honesty in that. Um, it's not an excuse. It's just a truth of you don't know what you don't know. And there was so much I didn't know that when Sean and I got together, um, and I'm, I'm marrying an African-American man. And of course I know that, of course I know he's African-American, but I don't understand the fullness until I step into marriage. Um, you know, maybe in aspects of our dating years, but at the same time, I felt like I really got my eyes opened in marriage and that's because we're doing daily life together. And I'm really seeing the ins and outs of Sean's experience as a black man in America and my experience as a white woman, uh, take gender out of the equation. And because obviously we're focused on skin color in this conversation, and that's an important focus and a needed focus at this time specifically in our nation. But Sean, I'm going to have him share a quick illustration and then I'm going to kind of come back in. But he shared an illustration about the plane that I think sums up where I want to kind of come in on this conversation. We fly, we fly uh, American uh, airlines and we both have flown enough where we have status, you know, in a sense, executive platinum. Mm -hmm. And I, I've flown a little bit more, so I get a little bit of the nod, but usually, <laughs> you know, we're both often bumped up or, but sometimes if we only have one seat, one of us is bumped up. Typically it would be me because I've higher status. So one time I gave her the first class seat. We kind of have a little agreement here that we try to trade off, but obviously as a guy, I want, I want my wife in first, first class. I feel crazy being the first time. I'm like, anyway, so she, you know, if you rode first class before, it's a whole different experience, man. They're bringing you drinks. This is uh pre COVID you're getting food. You're getting <laughs> Nice food. You get a blanket. Get a blanket. It's quiet. You get you get handed earphones. Yeah. And I took her spot, so I'm back in the back in coach. I got a kid behind me with a jackhammer. At least that's what it feels like. <laughs> He's kicking my chair. You know, people got uh, you know service animals looking like small baby rhinos, and it's just loud. <laughs> it's it's terrible. Uh, my seat. We got the second seat in the uh, uh, exit row. So my seat wouldn't recline fully. I'm just, it's not good. So we're walking off. And so she meets me at the top, uh, at the terminal entrance. And she goes, man, wasn't that flight good? You know, because she was in first class. And I go, no, that, that, was, that was awful. It was, it was heck of bad, right? And, uh, you know, it's crazy that we were both on the same plane, but we both had very different experiences. And if, if you've only ridden first class, you don't know that people in the back have a total different experience because you don't have that frame of reference. And uh, it, it's easy to make decisions like, well, why, why are you upset or why is there an issue? But if you don't go back and ride and coach <laughs> in the midst of a crazy packed plane, you know, on an East uh, Coast leg, you wouldn't know it. I love that illustration because for me, when he shared that one time when he was ministering, I was like, that's it. That's, that's exactly how it feels like I've come into this conversation of race. Uh, I've had a different experience in the same country. And so the way I describe it and the way I describe it is for me, I've, I've been in the same nation, but we've had two very different Americas. And, and I think we have to understand 
we there's two different countries and two different experiences that the African-American community has had a very different experience than many of white America. And there is two different versions of the same country. And I think that was an eye opener for me because I begin to see and experience. And then, of course, being in Sean's world. And then I've you know, developed through the years, of course, post-college, um, have lots of relationships with African-Americans in my life very close girlfriends, African-American. Um, and so I've heard their stories. I've heard their experiences. And it, what it's done is it's shown me the different vantage points of the same, maybe what we view as an experience that we go through in life, but a very different process in that experience. For me, that is a key, key um, understanding of really finding a solution in this is we first have to recognize, obviously there's a problem that there is a different, there's different experiences happen their nation in this nation. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've tried to be a bridge because I grew up in such a white culture, I will hit that narrative when we've had the George Floyd tragedies and horrific events in our nation, um, Ahmad's tragic and horrific an event. When we have these things, I'll see that white narrative. And, and I can say that because I'm white and hopefully that's not offensive because it's not my intention to be offensive, but I'll see the people that I've known and grown up with. And because they have no experience that there's another America, that there's another experience that a people group has been, this has been their daily life, but because it has not personally affected them, they genuinely don't fully believe it's truth or they believe it's exaggerated or a kind of con concocted, you know, vantage point for, for a specific people group, for the African-American group. What my goal is as a white person is to come alongside, create create a bridge of conversation to talk about the, the experience and, and, and the, you know, and I'm humbled, whatever part I can play in this um, to bring resolution, to bring peace, to bring unity, to bring reconciliation. But there really is a veil in so much of parts of America that are still lacking such diversity. There are many States in America, Oregon being one, the Northwest where I was born and raised is, you know, lacks a lot of diversity. Of course, there is diversity in some of the larger cities, but it's still compared to a lot of the U.S. Um, predominantly white. And there's just there's these nooks and crannies in America that aren't understand the full narrative. So I say all that to say as sad and horrific and tragic as these events have happened during covid and during 2020, I am grateful that there has been a global pause and that these things have been captured on camera. I'm grateful they've gone viral because it's forced everyone to see it for what it really is. It's forced conversations. We can't be busy enough where we're, we're ignoring it or not acknowledging. It's forced gatherings like this. This is amazing, right? It's forced us to have the hard conversations, to ask the tough questions. And for me, as a white person, to become forever a student. I've really just learned to listen and to ask questions and then to keep listening, to ask more questions, to keep listening. There's so much I don't understand, or there's so much I don't know, or I may be ignorant on. I recognize my, my lack of 
exposure and areas. So I've asked so many questions because I'm willing to have uncomfortable conversations. And I think that for white America is so key to understand that we have the opportunity and the privilege to be a student at this time, which is so key to be a student at this time, because I believe because we've been, we've been such a key part of the problem. We've been, we've been, we've been the problem. White America has been the problem in racism. We have a, uh, not only a social responsibility, but I believe a spiritual responsibility from the Lord to be a part of the solution. If you're a part of the problem, you have an opportunity and a responsibility to be a part of the solution. And, and the solution for me right now is how can I come along and support the African-American community? And so I'm going to add, I'm going to share with you guys. I hope it's okay. A prophetic word the Lord gave me in fall uh, of this year. And then I'm going to pass it back to Sean. He might clean up what I said a little bit. Um, But, you know, I think for me, uh, I really went to the Lord and this was interesting because this was fall 2019. This is before 2020, but let's be honest, uh, racism has been going on for, you know, for decades and decades, what we're seeing happen, unfortunately, is not new. It's It's been there. It's systemic. It's generational. It's learned. And so we're having to really go after roots, right? And we're having to go after um, really unlearning things that have been passed on generationally. So I say that to say, I was ministering in, in Bowie. Is it Bowie? Yeah, Bowie, Bowie Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. And I was um, at a conference and the Lord started just ministering. And sometimes when I prophesy, I don't even know what comes out of me until after I've prophesied. And then I'm like, wait, what was that? You know? And so this was one of those moments where I started prophesying. And the Lord said that uh, from 2020 on that the Lord was going to put front and center, the African-American community. The picture I saw was him clearing out the table and he put two seats up to the center of the table and he put African-American women in that at the table front and center. And the Lord said, I'm highlighting the African-American community because they're carrying the move of God. They're carrying the sound and there's a deliverance in them that they're bringing at this hour to release to the church and beyond. And the Lord says, I'm anointing the African-American community for where they have been silenced, where they have not been heard. They're going to not only be seen, but their voice is going to be amplified in this hour. And I heard the Lord say, come alongside the African-American community and make sure you are guarding as an intercessor, as an intercession, I felt like the Lord was inviting the church as intercessors to come alongside the African-American community and contend for what God has called them to in this hour, in a place of positioning them for influence, impact, and for their voice to be magnified and amplified at this time. So I released this word and I felt the spirit of God Then, fast forward in 2020, all of this begins to unfold. And so my whole thing is, Lord, what do I do with that? So a very small part, you know, cause I think everyone has a piece. Everyone has a part. If we all do our part, right. We saw, we see God put the whole piece pieces of the puzzle together. Um, my whole heart has been the African-American women um, just because I have a heart for women specifically. So we're in process right now of doing a gathering um, of really amplifying that the African-American woman's voice. And my whole thing is I'm not called to be a face of it. I'm not called to um, get any recognition. I am merely going to be an intercessor. I'm going to come alongside even on an administrative level and just create space 
for the African-American woman's voice in this hour in the church, because I believe God is highlighting the African-American community. And I say all that to say, we can hear words like this and we can go, okay, that's great. But I felt the invitation of the Lord inviting the church to come alongside the African-American community, because I think for so many decades, we have left the African-American community to fend for themselves. And if we really want reconciliation and we really want unity in the church, we have to partner and support the African-American community and the African-American church in America today. And I believe that's us not getting anything for it, right? We, we so many times in America, we only want to support things or come alongside if we kind of get a kickback. No, no, the, the, the kickback and the, and the, and the, promise is because God is highlighting these, the African-American community. And we get the privilege of saying, Hey, come on, we're pushing you forward. And that doesn't mean we're none of us matter that are African-American. You know, I think we have to understand there's not a scarcity mentality in the kingdom of God, just because God is highlighting one group of people doesn't mean he's ignoring the others. There's enough for everybody with Jesus, right? That's the beautiful thing about God. I love that. So we don't have a scarcity mentality, but we do have to recognize who God's hand is on this hour. There's been such a war over the voice and the identity of the African-American community. And I believe as we just stand up and we make space in the church, in our society for the African-American voice, and we continue to affirm and make a place for what, what the African-American community brings and what they're what they're called to in this moment, in this hour, I believe there is going to be an outpouring of the Spirit of God like we've never seen before because we're coming into alignment with what's on God's heart. And whenever you come into alignment with what God's heart is, that's where the blessing and the breakthrough happens. So that's my humble opinion. Um, no. No, but I, but I, that that's what's been on my heart, and that's what I've that's what I've been praying into. So you can clean up yeah. what I've been saying. No, no, that was awesome. I'll just say a couple of marks, and then if there's any questions, First Peter two nine says, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a mm-hmm. holy nation." The word their nation is ethnos. So in Jesus, we become a new ethnic group. My my melanin layer says I'm African American. Her melanin layer says that she's white American. But in the kingdom, the Bible says we're holy ethnos, that Jesus made us a new race. Yeah. So I say that to now say this. I think it's sometimes because I, I say there are two extremes we must avoid as the church. So now I'm speaking to the church. I am a child of God. And somewhere down the list, my melanin layer comes in. But my highest identification and allegiance is to Jesus. He's my Lord. I have more in common with those of you right now that we're together on the Zoom than someone I may share pigmentation with because we have the same spirit. So there is a unique, we're holy, holy ethnos. So having said that, two extremes you must avoid. One extreme is, as now I'm speaking as an African-American for a second, it's wrong for me to try to put white shame on you because at the end of the day, I want to build, and I'm going to quote a classic line from the movie Black Panther, uh, (laughs) Chadwick Boseman that played that superhero in MCU, movie, went to be with the Lord. He loved Jesus with all his heart. I have a good friend that was his pastor. And uh, he made a line in the movie. And if you don't know the movie, it's a superhero movie, not Black Panther as in a Black Panther party, but Black Panther superhero. <laughs> and he says, classic line. He says, in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, but the foolish build barriers. As a church, we have to be wise and build bridges. And so it's wrong for me to point at Megan and say, 
I'm going to put shame on you, Megan, because your great, 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 great grandfather, which I can't validate this, I don't know for sure, had in captivity or slavery my great, 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 great grandmother. So I'm I'm going to hold you responsible. No, nobody does that. That's that's wrong. But so we got to avoid that. If I'm trying to build unity, I can't put shame on you. I've got to approach this like you and I, we're like the old school Etch-a-Sketch. Remember before kids had their own little iPhone, you had to write it on Etch-a-Sketch, you shake it, it's clean. We need to shake this thing right now. And that's going to happen through communication, but it's going to happen through intercession and I believe some spiritual warfare as well. But the other extreme, okay, that's pendulum over here, white chain, other pendulum extreme, racism doesn't exist. What are you people talking about? Like those two extremes, because why? It doesn't take into consideration looking through the eyes of the person in front of you. Now, having said that, Jesus took a common parable. It was, we know it as a good Samaritan, but when the rabbis told it, John Stott talks about this, it was called uh, the good rabbi. That literally was a rabbi that was the hero of the story. Jesus took a twist on a venerated, passed down uh, story on how the priest uh, nursed the wounds and helped a Roman soldier. And so you need to, you know, and he made... The Samaritan, there, there's never been worse race wars than Jews and Samaritans. Like that that makes yeah. our issues that we've seen in America literally at a whole lower level. And Jesus made the Samaritan the good guy of the story, but how did he become a good guy? Because he's willing to cross the street and address the wounds. So now I'm speaking to you as a fellow servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, melon and layer aside. We have to do a better job of crossing the street and addressing the wounds, mm, because I believe this is our opportunity. The church was at the forefront of the civil rights movement, and I believe the church should be at the forefront of this new need to see that there would come, I, I love to use this phrase, out of, cosm, out of chaos comes cosmos. We know that in Genesis 1. We know that throughout the Bible. Uh, whenever there's chaos, and we're seeing chaos, I mean, it's in our election, it's in our streets, it's in the back of people's minds as they're looking at it. So it comes across the news airwaves, but cosmos is God's created order. And I believe the church is required to do it. And what in Genesis is the in-between stage between chaos, cosmos it says the spirit of God moves. I believe the spirit of God is moving on the church right now to be part of the solution. And I'll say this phrase again, it's going to take a united church to heal a divided world. And at this point, we're going to have to act on a vantage point greater than our own race, if we're gonna address the wounds. And that's what the Good Samaritan did, and that's what we have to do. And uh, and and I know you guys are leaders, you guys are on this, on a meeting this monthly, I don't have to tell you this, but I, I know this having obviously an ear to people of color, uh, they see what we're putting on our social media. And so when you put something on social media and you just think, okay, well, this is my opinion, this is what I feel like, whether they should stand or kneel at the national anthem. This is my feeling on, uh, you know, the protest. This is my feeling on Republican National Convention. This is my opinion on whatever. They People are out there seeing it. And I think in some respects right now, unfortunately, uh, we're, we're typecasted in a way that we, we won't be heard if we continue down this road, but that we have to reevaluate and say, God, we want an equal opportunity love that will cross the street and address the wounds. And you could say, well, what about my race? What about me? What about my whatever? But I don't think that that's what Jesus's approach is. Jesus's approach is I'll give my life 
uh, that I could be the bridge between heaven and earth. And that's got to be uh, that's it's got to be our heart. And, and I feel like we we are poised to do something. This this encourages me. So we probably talk a long time. Yeah. So do you guys have any questions? <laughs> I I loved listening to your stories. Thank you so much, both of you, for being here and for sharing. Um, I have gotten a few questions in the chat. If anyone um, has a question, we'll just handle this the same way that we have in the past. And you can just message me privately um, in the group chat. Um, so... The first question that um, I have for the two of you, it says, thank you so much for sharing your story, Sean. I'm humbled by your journey to Christ, despite the trauma you experienced as a boy. What support systems did you have as a child to help you get through the loss of your natural father? You know, as a child, honestly, and I, I hope this is fair to say this, I didn't really have any support systems. My mom. Uh, she, she had her own struggles and, and she was working and going to school. Uh, she was starting back to community college at that time. I think about that age, but if not, I think she was working a couple of jobs. My grandmother uh, hadn't given her life to the Lord. She was an alcoholic, but I believe my grandmother loved me. She was not neglectful, not abusive. She was old school discipline style, <laughs> but she was not abusive, but I, I really didn't. And I think uh, my mom did help me in terms of not aiming it at people that were the same race as those officers. So after the three days I stayed home, when I went back to school, I went back to a playground. I played with my white friends. I played with my Latino friends, my Asian friends. I was at a school that was uh, purposely segregated a little bit more than the, 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 the school at that particular time uh, that was in my neighborhood. And so I, uh, I, I developed friends and developed an understanding. And so I didn't hold that against my friends. But my grandmother got saved when I was a uh, senior, going into my senior year in high school, and I saw the love in her life. But honestly, this is a weird thing. And some people get this. Uh, the providence of God, I think God, and it, it could almost break me up. I think God looked over me mm -hmm. because people that have my story, I, my understanding, I heard a stat, 70% of the people incarcerated have my story uh, in one way, shape, or form. Uh, maybe not all to the extent that a policeman shot their dad, but a situation of broken home and other things that went in. So I think God had grace on my life before I even knew him and the providence of God was at play. So I, I would answer it like that. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, our next question is for Krista. Yeah. Um, Krista, it says, I'm wondering how you crossed the street from the white world to the mixed world. <laughs> I love exactly that question. That is awesome. Well, you know, it's really funny. I didn't really think about it. And I know that sounds maybe odd. Um, I, it's funny when, just give a little bit of my background. I had not dated. I had taken a Nazarite vow when I was 20, when I was 19 and I was pursuing God and I was pastoring and I was going after the things of the Lord and I had laid marriage down. Um, and so I actually didn't think I was going to get married. Um, so I got married later in life and I had known Sean from afar because I had run schools of ministry and he had come as a regular guest speaker at the church that I was on staff at. So I just knew him as a ministry acquaintance and I always admired or respected him, but I had gone through my own journey with God 
where I had laid down marriage, which is a whole separate thing. Um, and I didn't think I was going to get married and yet it was a desire, but it was surrendered to God that if that, if the glory of the Lord was accomplished better in my life being single, then so be it. That had been my prayer and my surrender. So when God brought Sean into my life, I was just so excited that I didn't really cross my mind that he was African-American. I know that might sound silly, but it's just honest. I, I loved him. I loved who he was in God. He's absolutely hilarious. And he makes me laugh still to this day, every day, multiple times. He's super, super funny. So I fell in love with him. I'd never been in love. I'd never been in a serious relationship. It was like, Sean is my first everything. And so I just so loved him. And then I know this sounds naive and it probably was, but from my lack of experience, right? Cause I hadn't dated. I had not been in a serious relationship and none of that. When we got married, that's when I discovered that it literally, I think in the dating phase of us, I was so in like, Ooh, la la, I'm in love. Oh my gosh. I'm actually going to get married. Are you kidding me? I think I was still in that space that when I got married, I was like, Oh, we're biracial. It like did not hit me. I know that sounds silly, but it didn't hit me until I was married. And I remember we went to a town in the South and we were ministering and we went to the airport and all these people were looking at us as we went to go pick up our baggage. And I promise you, you guys, I'm telling the truth. It was the first time where I was like, we're biracial. I just, it had not dawned on me. And I know that sounds naive. And like I said, it probably is naive, but it's honest. Um, so I guess to answer the question in a very long winded way, um, I crossed the street because I fell in love, but I discovered on the other side of the street, a really important narrative that I didn't wow. know existed That's good. that I needed to take time to listen to and understand. So there was a story on the other side of the road that I didn't know was there, but I very much needed it. And so it's been a privilege to be on the other side of the road in a biracial marriage. And it's opened up actually a lot of unexpected doors because I just fell in love with this man. And then, oh, by the way, we're biracial. Um, so I've loved how God's used it. Um, and so I can, hopefully, does that answer your question? I Yeah. I mean, it wasn't my question, but I think that's a great answer to the question. question was it it's, it's very beautiful and honest. And I love that. Thank you for sharing. It made me laugh. <laughs> um, uh, our next question says, do you have any suggestions for building bridges with people who are on those ends of the pendulum? So either the, the shame uh, and for the denial of racism, what, what is your suggestion for building bridges there? I think, uh, my suggestion suggestions are almost the same as I would suggest in the area of evangelism, almost the same. Mm -hmm. I would suggest in the area of friendship one on one, a, is that you begin to get in people's worlds. You begin to ask them questions. You find out what, what are they impassioned about? What makes them tick? What are they excited about? You just begin to love on people right where they're at. And I don't think you start off in a, you know, if I was going to start off a relationship, which I, I one of the first, when I planted a campus ministry at a number one party school in America, first guy led to the Lord was a neo-Nazi white supremacist. And I, I was in his wedding became one of my, my best friends, but I didn't start off by going, 
you're a white supremacist. Can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> like, you know, I, he was a baseball player. I talked to him about baseball and I just loved on the guy. And then it, it came to a head when he says, I hate black people and just kind of side humor, tongue in cheek. That's when I knew I was saved because he was in my house when he said he ate a black man. If I wouldn't say we'd be fighting. Okay. But uh, I listened to him and I said, his name's Russ. I said, Russ, I said, uh, you, you, you might in your mind think you have reason to hate black people, but what is it? What, what is it? And he shared and it, you know, uh, affirmative action, take our jobs, you know, they get whatever, whatever benefit. And I said, Hey, let me tell you my story. So I told him about, you know, how my dad was murdered. And I said, but you know what? I got nothing but love for you, man. And the reason for that is that's what God does when he comes into your heart. And I end up leading him to the Lord right there on the spot. But the key is I began talking to a baseball player about baseball. That's how it all began. So I just think, and the other thing is that you have to be very open. You have to be willing to invite folks in your house. People kind of know when you're, when it's organic and you're genuine and authentic versus, you know, you, you there's a little, this generation is very agenda savvy. They can scent, sense the scent of agenda. And if there's any agenda, peace out, we're gone. And, and I, I, I'm like, take the minute, invite someone to lunch, invite someone over your house, talk about it, go, go places where people are on the opposite spectrum are, uh, I have a great opportunity with my wife, you know, that, and, and just kind of the circles I've run for whatever reasons to be around people that do not think, not my wife or nor, nor her family, but you know, I, I end up talking to people going, Hey, Sean, talk to me. What is this thing? I don't, there's no racism in America. So I can talk to them about that. And, uh, I go, it's not right for people to try to make you feel bad that it exists, but it does exist, you know, and, and hey, here, here's some things to consider. So I think you, you love on them, you invite them out, you talk to them, and then you pray for opportunities because this is a spiritual undertaking. So just like I pray, God, give me souls that I can witness to is that God lead me to people that I can, I can love on and have conversation, but you can't go in trying to prove your point. I, I've seen that. And that's what hurts us on social media not trying to prove a point here as much as I'm trying to point to Jesus and point to his love and, and point that you matter to God. So that's my thought. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for that. I think that's for me personally, really challenging and really encouraging at the same time. Um, this question says what practical step can each member of renew take tomorrow? to be the bridge for unity uh, when we are a predominantly white church and we don't have black leaders on staff. What can that look like um, just in a very immediate practical sense? Mm, okay. Man, that's, a, that's a good question. All right. <laughs> how, how honest do you want me to be? <laughs> we want you to be very honest. Okay. Brutally, brutally honest. All right. I never go political. I'm a trust you guys are mature group. Never going to, I never go like when I'm preaching, don't, I'm always going to be kingdom, but I think this is where we, we miss it. Now, this is going to be replayed and I, and, and obviously people can hear it and everything. I may want who I consider to be the right guy to preside over the white house, but more importantly, I want the right God to preside over the church house. And in order to do it, I have to have the father's demeanor, the priest of the old Testament. And the Lord gave me this download as I was speaking at a conference last week, 
They had 12 jewels on their breasts to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Even at one point when the northern southern kingdom split and there were skirmishes that was on the way to civil war. In fact, at one point they were about to wipe out a tribe and God intervened through a prophet. It wasn't that the priests who were on the northern kingdom, I think it was 10 10 tribes to two or something like that. When like one priest had 10 stones or whatever the number is, the other had two and like I'm divvied up. Like it's civil war, priests can't choose sides. And I think we can't let the world pigeonhole us and forget my melanin layer and you, you gave me permission to be honest. And you, I hope you know at this point, I love you guys. I'm a kingdom dude. And I'm like, let's, let's be, as one guy says, solutionaries. But I think we do ourselves a disservice if people think that Christianity is right-wing, evangelical, and white. Because if that is their concept, I don't fit in there, so I'm automatically going to go to the other extreme. The devil wins. We don't want the devil to win. We've got to recognize the church is out of revelation, every tribe, tongue, and nation. And if I push my political party or my political candidate too far, you got to understand that there are people that are on the other sides for whatever reasons that are, could be believers. Now, again, we voted and we voted according what we felt was biblical, according to our conscience and all of that. And I'll do that every single opportunity. But at the same time, I recognize I'm not going to let the leaven of Herod. That's what Jesus talked about. The leaven of Herod is the politicization of Christianity. Now, I know that can step on toes because I know there are people that are fighting right now and we want righteousness. I'm, I'm appreciative of the Supreme Court appointees that have taken place. I'm appreciative of, of a lot of things that, that have taken place. Uh, and that's that I, I am. I, 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 I'm going to protect babies in the womb. I mean, I, that, that's a key thing for me. But at the same time, can a person be Christian going to heaven and be voting for maybe the party that that's not their priority? Uh, I don't think it's for any of us to say whether or not they can, because I think God's going to surprise us as to whether or not. And then I look at it through my mother's lens and my mother's lens. There was a particular political party that she felt really had her back in very key times. And my, my, my mom, at 80, 80 some odd years of age, she's an octogenarian. She, she won't change off that. And I'm not trying to change her off that. That that represented something she needed the time and something represented. But the key is we're trying to win them all. Whether you're on the far right or far left, we got to have, and this is, I'm going back to the 12 stones. We have, we cannot be partial stone priests. We have to have yeah, all 12 good. stones. I want to have a stone on my chest for those that stand up for the national anthem. I want a stone on my chest for those that kneel on the national anthem. I want a stone on my chest for those on the far right. I want a stone on my chest for those on the far left. I want stones on my chest for the red hatted MAGA hat wearers. I want a stone for the BLM black t-shirt wearers. I am called to be a, a minister of reconciliation. And when I say stones on my chest, I'm not saying that's my identification. I'm saying my heart, I wear that and that people group or that identification group, I wear you on my heart because I want to see you come to Jesus. So, man, I, I want, you know, I tell people, man, I want Nancy Pelosi to get saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. Why yeah. wouldn't I want that? Don't awesome. you think Jesus wants that? Yeah. But if we demonize folks, we end up fighting folks we're called to free. Ooh. And so I think, is, so even good. though that wasn't the question, mm -hmm. when people post and they, they, in that swing so much of a political bias that is no longer a kingdom bias, I think it hurts the cause. What we can do is wake up tomorrow and just begin to say, Lord, 
Let me take mm. off the lenses of whatever other lens I've got on. Bring That's me so back to a, a, a gospel lens, a, a new mm. covenant kingdom yeah. lens. And I see people and value them as you value. I don't see race first. I don't see political leanings first. I'm not even here trying to trumpet my political party. I'm here to try to trumpet the Prince of Peace. And I want people to know Jesus. I want to invite people. And I know that for some people that's sensitive. And I want to be very, very sad. I hope I'm phrasing this right. If you're backing and praying and believing and, and man, absolutely, you feel like your party identifies with the Christian principles and, and you're, amen. Awesome. But remember, you're pulling for that party based on a kingdom principle. So don't lose the principle and 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 be overwhelmed by the personality. And like some people have got so much in the personality, good or bad on both sides, that they've lost the principle. It's about a kingdom principle first that we want to reach them all. I want all of them to be reached, man. And Paul was in some real different places with some different people. Jesus with different places and different people and even got accused of eating, uh, hanging around tax gatherers and prostitutes, which was the worst lot of folks in Jesus' day. But I want to be that. I, I would love to have a reputation. Sean has friends that are tax gatherers and prostitutes, you know, in a good way, you know, I mean, not in a bad way. But <laughs> invite someone to dinner, get them the coffee. You know what will really surprise someone? Because I'm, again, I'm speaking as kingdom. Don't, I'm not speaking as a black man right now talking to you. Like, Find someone who's on the other side and in some way, in a holy way, support them. Like that just floors folks. Like, what? Why, why would you why would you do that? Like simply, you know, if I was a white person, let's say, acknowledging that the black plight is a little bit different than my own, simply acknowledge it, verbalizing it, you'd be surprised how many African Americans will begin to open up and feel safe with you. And you'll hear a whole different deal. And now, as an African American, I want to immediately go and talk to some people and go, you know what? Uh, I, and sometimes I open up like this. I'm, this may shock you, but I don't, I don't agree with Black Lives Matter in terms of the organization and what they put on their, their page. I mean, they're, they're, they, they put on it, Marxism, anti-patriarchal, uh, on and on and on, anti-Christ. I don't agree with it. But I do agree with the phrase Black Lives Matter. But at the same time, White Lives Matter. East Indian lives matter, Asian lives matter, on and on and on. And if I'm a fireman, I'm going to a block and you have a precious white family in a home, precious East Indian, precious Latino, precious Asian American, we go on and on and on. And we see the precious black family house on fire. I'm a fireman, whose house am I running to? I'm running to the black family. But next week, it may be the people from Yugoslavia, right? That precious immigrant family. Next week, we come into your house. So the whole thing is, yeah, I could say Black Lives Matter, and it shouldn't be a problem with that. And for you to simply uh, identify and acknowledge that that matters. Jesus said Samaritan lives matter. But yes, all lives matter, but don't fight over the terminology because you're the bridge. So you got to meet them where they're at to bring them to the kingdom. So this is the key. This is our mission is to begin to look at this thing with a different set of lens that says, I'm, I'm representing kingdom now. I'm not representing my race. I'm not representing my political party. I'm not representing what I feel you people ought to do. I'm representing Jesus. And I think that is sounds complicated, but it's really simple if we really, really look at what Jesus would do. Do you guys still love me? <laughs> oh, yeah, we do. Thank you so much for that. By the way, this call, I can't remember if we announced this at the beginning um, for all of you, but um, we actually recorded this call. So aren't you also glad that we did that? 
because I don't know about you, but I want to listen to it tomorrow and take some serious notes. Um, would it be okay if we wrapped up with one last question? You guys up for that? Okay. Sure. So um, the, the final question is along the lines of how, how do you cling to hope? Um, how do you maintain a sense of hope when um, you see kind of the, the turmoil that is surrounding us in this season of, of all different kinds, but specific to, um, to racism? You know, I turn off the news. <laughs> I turn off social media. Amen. I turn off the negative voices and I get on my face before Jesus. I'm, I, that's completely accurate. I mean, for me, uh, the voices that I allow into my life are what create the atmosphere around me. And wow. so I'm going to remove the negative narrative. If the narrative that I'm listening to is not lining up with what the spirit of God is saying, especially in this hour, I'm turning it off. Um, I'm doing everything I can to guard my peace like a pit bull. I'm guarding because we're in such tumultuous times. So for me, um, I'm just not engaging as in um, those external things that I can just shut off. Um, and for me, I've upped my quiet time. I've upped my worship, praying in the spirit, taking time to listen to the Lord. Um, I've gotten out my notebook and I'm scribing what I'm hearing. I've asked for declarations and I'm declaring daily what the Lord has told me. And I say all that to say, as I position myself and my heart on the spirit of God, that's where my anchor is. That's where my rest is. And then my hope is unwavering and unshakable because it's not based off of moving parts. The news is moving. It's constantly to and fro. People's opinions and narratives, that's to and fro. People's experiences, to and fro. So I removed the moving parts and I set my heart on the anchor and that's Jesus. And so for me, you know, spending time with the Lord right now is not an option. It's a mandate. If you want to guard your peace, you have to be in the presence of God. And then in the word of God, praying, listening. And then when you don't know how to pray, pray in the spirit, you know, and, and just connecting with Holy spirit and listening to what he's saying. I actually have so much hope because I feel like there's so many people like renewed church and other groups that are gathering and going for the kingdom justice. And they're like, God, you have the solution. God, you're not intimidated by racism. Lord, you're not overwhelmed by our current state of our nation. Our, God is not shook. We might be shook. We might be unnerved. We might be scared. We might be overwhelmed, but our God is not. And so if you're around me at all, or when I minister, or even in our home, I, I go after the names of God. Um, I say the names of God all the time. And I do that intentionally because whatever we need as a people, as a church, as a nation, his, the answer we're looking for is in one of his names. So whatever we're dealing with, you know, in our nation, I'm like, you're the God of Shalom, God, you, and I just start declaring who God is in the Shalom and, and what Shalom actually means declaring it over my life, but also over this nation. I believe, you know, However, you've been provoked, you've been provoked enough for new church to create this monthly group. You've been provoked enough to have these conversations. You've wow. been provoked enough to give your time one evening a month and probably more um, to, to engage in this. So I always look at what am I provoked over? And I, and I become an intercessor in that area because I look for the strategy of God. If I've been provoked, if my heart's been 
um, drawn into something, if, if I'm carrying the burden and I would, I it would be safe to say that most of you are feeling the burden of the turmoil in our nation, the, the racism that's we're, we're seeing in our nation and what's happening in the current climate. You know, if you've been provoked, provoked, I believe you've been literally enlisted as an intercessor to pray for this specific area. Cause I believe, you know, what you weep over is what I believe you have authority over. And so, um, just look for what, what is on your heart and take it to a place of prayer and intercession, because I believe God is equipping the body of Christ with strategy, but it's as we wait in his presence, that's where the download comes. And that's where your peace is anchored. So for me, I've just up my time. I know that's probably no a simple answer, that's awesome. but that's that's where I'm at. Yeah. I have nothing to add to that. That's because <laughs> you're doing the same thing. We're both we're just in different rooms in the house doing the same thing. That's great. That's really great advice. Well, Sean and Krista, thank you so much for joining us. I am humbled to be in a Zoom chat with you. I am excited to go back and re-listen to everything you said. I feel like it's going to take me a few um, times to soak it all in. There's just so much goodness in this call. And I'm really encouraged by your ministry. And um, and it like fires me up that you guys are, are here cheering us on. Um, so thank you all. Yeah. Megan, Tim, everyone. Thanks so yeah, much for having Pastor us. And, yeah. Pastor, mm-hmm. And anything we could do to help you guys in the future. I so love this. So warms my heart. In fact, I'm going to brag on you guys. This, this is kind yeah. of what it takes to begin to move. Uh, because, you know, I think someone said uh, silence in a time in which your, your voice should be heard actually contributes and builds the problem. So Ooh, we, we can't be silent. Good. We got, we got to use our voice and, and that's, that's kind of where it begins. And, and hopefully, you know, our, our, behind our voice, we, we, we walk it out in our day-to-day lives and it sounds like you guys are doing it. So. Yeah, you really are amazing. I just, I just want to kind of come alongside what Sean just said. I'm so impressed with your guys's heart. And I know there's been just a key group of you, the justice leadership team. And I just think that's super powerful. And I love that you've taken it serious because we can uh, be affected by tragedy, but not be moved to bring change. And what I love is in the midst of tragedy, you've not only allowed yourself to be provoked, but to be an agent of change and reconciliation. And that's really what God's time. Yeah. Well, before you guys go, would you mind praying for us? We would be so honored if you would do that. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I love, we were both tapping each other like you do it. And then I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for what a powerful, powerful group of people. Lord, I just feel your heart for them. And I feel the pleasure and the love of you, Jesus, over this group. Lord, there's there's a preciousness they have in your heart because they care about the things you care about. They've Mm -hmm. wept over what you've wept over. Lord, they carry your heart specifically in the area of racism and bringing kingdom justice. Lord, I pray for downloads. I pray for encounters. I pray for strategy. Strategy that even in a, in a state or maybe in a church, in a community that might not feel like it has a lot of diversity, yes, yes. Lord, you can use yes. them yes. as an incredible prototype 
an example, but even forerunners in the area of bringing solution to, to justice and even complex issues. So right now, Lord, open their minds to receive, their hearts to receive, even to be dream in the middle of the night, Lord, they get strategy, they get answers. And Lord, put within them movements and projects that can carry forth the message of justice. But most of all, Lord, let us be rooted and grounded in your spirit, your word, and your presence. Lord, I pray that as they spend time with you, seeking your heart, seeking your spirit, that Lord, you not only ground and anchor them in your peace at this time, but you anchor and ground them in your word and your promise. Prophesy to them what you want to do in them and through them. Prophesy to the house what you want to do in the house of Renew and through the house of Renew. And in their community, in the state of Pennsylvania, Lord, prophesy. Raise up the prophetic voice to declare over a state, over a region, over a house, over a people, your intentions, your plans, your purposes to bring to pass all in which is in your heart for them. Lord, I pray a blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.